Hello and welcome back to the How The Fuck podcast, the only SEO podcast dedicated to uncovering the secrets behind the most successful SEO case studies. In SEO, creating quality, experience-driven content has never been more important. It now takes five minutes to write a better-than-average article using AI, which means we have just entered into an age of content commoditization. You need to differentiate your strategy fast. Great content that actually wins in the next five to ten years needs to be the kind of stuff that you bookmark and come back to read. It needs to go the extra mile to connect with your reader. In short, it needs to follow the Lima framework. That's L-E-M-A, logic, explicitness, memorability, and actionability. Find out what this means and exactly how to use it in your content in this week's interview with Lily. Ugbaya. She's written for Zapier, WordPress, Databox, and HubSpot. She also worked full-time at Animals, aka the best content writing agency out there, and she knows how to create truly remarkable content. For my premium community, people listening, expect a thorough write-up and a guide on using the Lima framework. Everyone this week can also get their hands on a free downloadable template which contains the questions you need to ask before writing, a checklist for editing writing, and some examples of the Lima framework in action. Just look in the show notes here for that downloadable and head over to thefuck.com to find the premium write-up of the Lima framework. Hi Lily, welcome to the podcast. It is an honor to have you on here today to share your framework for content writing. So this, this essentially, my understanding so far, like I've been reading it and everything, but you are the expert. It's about, it's a framework for creating high quality content um, that basically is the stuff that inspires your reader and makes you save it, makes you remember you, all this kind of good stuff that we all want. Before we, I ask you to explain the framework itself um, and what it means and what the frame, what the, what the letters stand for and everything. Um, um, uh, you mentioned a little while back that basically like uh, whether you should approach quality or quantity when you come to content um, really depends on your situation. Are you a high ticket sale service business or are you a product led growth business? That should change how you approach quality and quantity. So I wondered if you could just explain that. Like who is this framework for? Um, who needs to care about quality this much? Yeah, I, I feel like that post I made is a little bit outdated, especially with all the AI content out there right now. Like anyone can publish lots and lots of content with the in the click of a finger right and so now i feel like the standing out quality even if you're creating just one piece of content is way way it carries way more weight than publishing frequency right now because of how easy it is to just publish um content so, but when i when i said that what i had in mind was that if you're a sales-led company for example selling to enterprise um it would make more sense that you focus on creating one or two healer pieces that when this high level, you know, this C, C level, um, executives come to your blog, they are completely blown away. So you're not really mm. concerned with rank on the shirts as much as enabling sales motion, right? Whereas if you're creating or um, selling something that goes for say $5 or $10 per month to lots and lots of people, then what you need to do is bring in lots and lots of people. And so you need to push out a lot of content. But like I said, it, it really doesn't matter if you're creating for a ton of people or you're creating for a C-level executive, you yeah. need quality content. 
Okay. Yeah, I think I understand. I mean, now, now that we've moved into this era of like, you can do publishing frequency, um, to some extent, I suppose it's really hard to do high quality at scale as well. Um, but I really get your point. Like I worked in a company that was very much like a sales led, like high ticket item. There was that fine balance to have, like, no, no one's going to convert from a very rubbish piece of content. But anyway, this is perfect because that means this is now more relevant to everybody, mm -hmm. which is perfect. Um, so, okay. So in, in a nutshell. With what is the Lima framework? So that's L-E-M-A. What does that stand for? Yeah, the Lima framework, a framework that helps people create remarkable content. I developed this after years of working with um, brands like Hubsport and Zapier and Hotjar, where, especially Hotjar, where the standard for quality is like really, really, really high. It stands for logical, explicit, memorable, and actionable. What I think are the four pillars of content that inspires the reader, makes your brand stand out, both in, in the search um, engine ranking pages and on social networks. Like, I feel like these are the elements that make a reader really connect to what is on the page, take it, be able to apply it, like see their transformation in it, be able to apply it and get results for them. Remember your brand, share your brand, advocate for your brand. And whenever they see content from your brand come up again, they want to click on you because you've built this sort of brand equity as far as they're concerned. Okay. Yeah. So you, you worked for animals. Is that right? Yeah. I think because for yeah. me, like when anyone describes that kind of content, there's, a, there's very few brands that I think do it really well. And I'm like, okay, I'll click this every time. But animals, animals is one of those, I think. Like I know it's going to be good. I know I remember it, yeah. I, I use it, I take it away like, every time. Um, so yeah, I'm not, like, that kind of content it has to be like what everyone is striving for. Like it's the hardest thing to create really, but um, that's, I th I'm really happy we have a framework now to do it. So this is cool. Um, so if it's okay with you, I just want to go through each of those um, in, in, in a bit more detail. So um, w could we start with logic? What does that mean? Like how do I create a piece of content with logic and why, why do I want to do that? Okay, so here's how I see it. Um, for each person, maybe searching piece of content or like someone scrolling through and they find there is, there's already some knowledge that they have about generally, right? So I always give this example. I say that you could write 4,000 words about tomatoes. If I said, okay, write a piece about tomatoes for me, like there's a lot to cover. You could talk about whether they're fruits or vegetables or what color tomatoes are, the different colors, because I, I think I've seen green and red, right? You can talk about their origin and all sorts of things. If I'm your reader and I'm trying to cook with tomatoes and I want to know their nutritional value, I'm not really interested in the history of tomatoes. I might be interested in learning if they are fruits or vegetables because these two things have um, different uh, nutritional values, right? And so to me, logic is what restricts your scope so that you're only writing what your audience wants to know and in the order that they need to know those things, right? So it's asking the questions, who, what, why, where, when, how, all those questions in the exact way that someone would ask those things if you were having a conversation, depending on their knowledge level. And I think that for, for logic to be effective, for you to effectively use logic in a piece, the most important thing to know is exactly who you're writing to. 
mm-hmm. right? Who is this person that I'm writing to? Where in their journey are they right now? What do they know? What do they, what do they want to know? What is it that they should know that they're not even thinking about right now? And these are actually three things that I taste at the top of every draft that I write. So mm-hmm. the what's that you already know, try to avoid rambling about stuff like that in the draft so I don't bore them today. And focus the most of my attention on the things that they want to know. And then I include things that they should know. As an example, say you're, you're looking for SEO strategy and there's something that you do naturally know that you should have been looking. And so this article you find reminds you or tells you about this thing is because they, they understand where you are in your journey right now. And so for me, logic is that is a structure and the formatting of your article that follows your audience's thinking for the particular place where they are right now. And then it's also something else. It's creating content that is, that has paragraphs that are mutually exclusive yet collectively exhausting. So there's one thing that I find when I edit content from other writers that really, really bugs me is that say in one paragraph, we're talking about something and then I come to another paragraph and there's repetition of that same thing. It's not that it doesn't completely fit there, but like if we had done a better job at sharing it, we'd be able to separate everything such that the structure, the, um, each section has their own different, um, completely different contents. Yeah. Love that. I, I love the mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, uh, concept in general, because it helps you make sure that like each of your segments has a specific purpose It knows what it's doing. You learn from it when you're there and you don't end up like waffling kind of through the article. Um, but yeah, so many, so many times have I come to content that's just, I don't know, too basic or like I scroll, you have to scroll and, you know, skim to find what you want. It doesn't exactly like hit what you, what you need. Um, if you've chosen your audience, how do you know what they know and what they need to know? Like, how do you do this kind of thing? How, let's say for like an SEO, like they've got a topic from a keyword or something. And they're like, okay, cool. I want to write this, but I don't want to write the origins of tomatoes. How do they know what to write? Like what's it? Yeah. No, it's usually in the keyword. This is why I'm more interested in writing for the keywords rather than just the general, like tomatoes is not, not really a keyword. Like I don't know what someone who's searching for tomatoes would be looking for, but saying someone is looking for CRM tools, for example, they already know what the CRM tool is. We don't need to define that. We don't need to go, what is a CRM tool? Um, uh, yet every why? every article says what is a CRM tool at the top. And then why do you need a CRM tool and all of that stuff? You, you actually you can define those things, but like you can put them in the body of the content where they don't have a standalone um uh, section and they kind of learn what the CRM is yeah. without having their attention drawn to it in a section. And so like I was saying it's in the keyword. So for a keyword that says best CRM tool. We're talking to a friend right now and you say, what are the best CRM tools? How do you think they would say? Oh, the best CRM tools are HubSpot and so, and so, and so, and those are basically what the H2 should be. And if you were talking to a friend, you would say HubSpot and then you say why. This is why HubSpot is a good CRM. And that's basically what your structure should be in the post that you're writing. I, I actually love that as a, as a analogy because it's so true. Like why you wouldn't, if someone says, what's the best CRM tool, you wouldn't say, well, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't do like a 200 word introduction and then you wouldn't do like a huge concept. Well, let me tell you first what a CRM's tool is. Yeah, I, it's so true. So I think that's, I think that's really clear. Like basically really when you understand specifically who your reader is and think about what they need to know and like deliver it in a mutually exclusive, collectively exhausted way. Cool. Is there any more to add on that one or can we yeah, make- I add, I should probably add because, you know, SEO is important and all of that stuff. If you need to add the what is and all of that, 
there's a facts section where you can do that. You can yeah. just, yeah, to satisfy Google and all the other search engines, put them in the facts sections. Any keyword that is important to the, the, the uh, general team of the article, but doesn't really fit in the structure of the article can go in the facts section, yeah. the FAQs. That's a really good point. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's exactly what I've started to do. Like get to the, to delete most of the introduction, get to the point, but then have a huge FAQ at the end. But I, Google needs to catch up if that's not really useful or like, what's the point that the, um, um, cool. I think that was good. I think that was a good section. Um, would you mind explaining E explicit? I really like this one. Okay. I think, you know, this question you just asked right now, everything that's explicit is a word that could mean so many things. And so you want to know what exactly is it? And this is exactly what everyone should be asking when they write content. Say you write um, that HubSpot, say maybe when I'm, I'm talking about why HubSpot is a great CRM tool, I mean, like HubSpot helps you drive revenue or drive sales pipeline. What exactly does it mean? I'm not sure this is a very good example because the person who is reading this is a sales professional who already knows what sales pipeline, but let's just use this. So an explicit way to put this would be that HubSpot CRM which is totally not true because HubSpot doesn't actually give you leads. But just say the and we'll be like Hub, HubSpot CRM allows you get more leads that your salespeople can call. Yeah. It's clear as day, clear as day. There's no guesswork. There's no what exactly uh, is this person trying to say here. And explicitness helps you clearly and like accurately convey the intended message to the reader. Like the reader doesn't have to assign their own, you're not writing fiction, right? If it were fiction, I think one of the very good um, things that I love about some fiction books is when they do not tell me exactly what is going on. And then I have to think about, you know, create my own story in my mind to accompany it. But this time around, we're selling stuff. And so we need to tell the reader exactly, exactly what is going on. An example I often give is when you say create content that is easy to read, or let's say right now, we're talking about remarkable content, right? And we say create content that is remarkable. What exactly does remarkable mean? Okay. To the audience, remarkable may be content that someone sees and goes, wow. To someone else, remarkable may be content that the audience reads and remembers. To someone else, co remarkable content might be content that the audience shares. And okay. so like, you need to be specific with what you're saying exactly. For me, one way that I, I discover what needs a little more explanation, what needs explicit um, explanation, right, is when I'm reading through the draft and I find myself stopping to think about something, it means that there's a gap there that I need to fill with explicit content. So okay. an example would be, yeah. Yes. So an, an example would be, say I'm, I'm talking about analytics right now and I say use analytics tools to um, see your ranking data. If the reader is completely new to analytics tools, let's just assume that the, the reader is completely new to analytics tools, they would wonder what's, what is this? Which one? So if we want to be explicit here, we could say use analytics tools like Google Analytics. Yeah. So like, there's no guessing. Okay. Google Analytics is what I should use. At least it's one of the tools that I can use. Yeah. I think marketing is such a game of, of assumptions. Um, and like if, if you, uh, 
going to say something, you have to know, you have to be able to empathize. I think that's why it's so hard. You have to be able to empathize with your reader so much. Like, where are they? Like, what do they know? If you use a word, what do they already associate with that word? Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to say something explicitly, then they're going to make up their own, like you said, like the imagination. Something of their own. Yeah. Yeah. I think I find this a lot with like the talk about category creation and stuff like that. Like if you, if you fit yourself into another category, like so I'm a product analytics tool, then there's everyone already has so many assumptions about what that means, like what you do, mm -hmm. what, but if you create your own category, they have nothing. And it, it, and it's kind of, it's kind of like, like the words you use are so important, I guess, to the action someone's going to take. So is it, it's all about just, is it like using examples, like using explaining points? Sometimes examples help between transparency. I think they're one of the strongest ways to do that. So I could say you should do something or something, something. And then I give an example how someone else did it. And it becomes like really clear, like you can really picture the action that you need to do. So yeah, I think examples are really good ex um, examples of being explicit. <laughs> but you said, so it's uh, also part of the memorability, like the end of leaving. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it falls the most in memorability because, you know, when something is clear, as in picture clear, when something paints a picture, so you, you kind of remember it more. I think one, one thing, so like having read, read your content on that, like you also mentioned like analogies and screenshots and examples and that kind of stuff being like really relatable. And I think that's so true. It's one thing reading it, but when you visualize it through like a screenshot, then you're just like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Got it. Um, way more yeah money. yeah like personally recently i noticed that when i'm reading through uh, an article and there's no screenshot describing like what the action would look like even when i know what the action would look like it feels like a disconnect like my brain has to stop and think about what that action would look like instead of just seeing it right there on the page right so true and the, yeah, and the, the aim of, of the, the piece of content that we create is make people scroll through to the end without any friction and then take the action that we are hoping for them to take. Yeah, so memorability, because for me, memorability and remarkable are kind of like interchangeable in the sense that when, if we say that something is remarkable, it's something that is worthy of attention, that is kind of striking, right? And then something that is memorable is also something that is worthy of attention. Like it's something that caught my attention and kept it. And I remember it. I related to it. I remembered it. And for me, memorability is, I think that the, the pinnacle of creating memorable content is coined concepts. Like if we're going to be honest, the Lima framework is not really anything new. It's just four acronyms that I put together, four um, letters that I put together to form an acronym for something that already exists. Like there are lots of people out there who are really creating logical and explicit and memorable and, and actionable content, right? But having that concept coined, named, it becomes something that is memorable. Like people just think about high quality content and they think about the Linux framework because there's a, a coined concept attached to it. Yeah. And I feel like this. This, if we think about some of the, the, the stuff that has really played true in the industry in the past, say, 10 years, talking about stuff like the skyscraper technique and product-led content, pinpoint SEO, all of this stuff. These are things that we have coined to talk about a technique that 
probably already existed or was invented. Let's just use invented for <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, to think about it that way. And the reason why we remember them till today is because they were given a name. And so like, if anyone wants to create content that is remarkable or memorable, first thing we should be looking at is how do we make this novel? Coin Concepts is one of those ways to do that. Novelty. Novelty is, can also mean something that is polarizing. Like this is a new opinion. It doesn't have to be like really new, new for real, but like it's a new way to think about this. And so I remember it. I'm trying to think of a recent example. I really remember your case study about Monday. Mm. Monday that they had a framework in there. No, there's not, there's not, there's no framework in there, but there's novelty in there in the sense that you Look at how um, a brand was creating thousands of pages. And this is like something that probably no one else has done before, right? There are brands out there creating thousands of pages that no one knows. And then this is the first time we're, we're looking at the strategy of a brand who's creating. It's, it was something fresh, something new. Even though the, the, the foundation itself is still the same, creates content, gets your operations in place and all of that stuff. But the way that it's packaged makes it novel and memorable and also i felt like that whole that um interview was really polarizing too because there's in the seo industry and the content marketing industry people who are pro quality over quantity and then there are people who are quantity over quality right and then so everyone who wants to create more content instantly connects with that yeah, yeah. that study yeah and so they want to know, how, how do I create more and more of this? And so it becomes memorable to them. And another thing that I think makes content re re memorable is being relatable. And this comes to the point of examples. So if you're writing a piece of content and throughout it, throughout the piece of content, we're spraying examples of how someone who is in the shoes of your target reader has done something, it becomes so much easier for the person to really what to what. Um, you're writing because they can literally see themselves, see themselves solving the problem in the way that you showed it because you're using an example that is relatable to them. You're using screenshots and graphics that show them what this process could look like. So they don't have to think like they have a clear picture of what this could look like. Another thing is using analogies, being able to draw parallels between familiar concepts and the concepts that you're trying to teach. Analogies and metaphors, I feel like they are so important because it takes you from, it takes a reader from here to here without any friction. It's like thinking of, say, I don't have a lot of um, examples that an American may be able to relate to. Let's say spaghetti and say mac and cheese, right? Say mac and cheese. And I want to draw an analogy or a metaphor between how, how good writing is as delicious as mac and cheese. And that if it's not delicious to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> so when I talk about that instantly from someone who finds mac and cheese delicious, they kind of like mm -hmm. already paint a picture in their head. Right. And it becomes easier to relate to whatever I've said. So in a nutshell, I use novelty 
which can be in the place of in, in the form of the coin concepts of polarization. I use screenshots and graphics. I use analogies and I use examples. I use screenshots to show what in, in app steps look like. I use examples to describe what the concepts would, would look like in real life using an example of someone who's already in the shoe of the buyer. I use analogies to introduce readers to more advanced concepts and I use custom graphics to map concepts like hmm. I feel like I'm stealing everything that I've said because I can't even show people what that looks like. <laughs> no. no way. That was amazing. That was brilliant. I think all of all of everything that you said is just like it's just like tip after tip. And you gave loads of examples. And also thank you for using my content as examples. Hi guys, instead of an advert this week. I'm going to share a insanely useful tip from one of our sponsors that was shared on LinkedIn this week. So this post by Jeremy Moser, CEO and co-founder of Usurp, got over 1,400 likes yesterday. And it's such a good tip and everyone needs to know it. So I'm going to share that with you from Usurp, who is our brand new sponsor over here at the How The Fuck podcast. So here goes. This is the underdog strategy. And in short, the tip is when you're creating a new piece of content, probably the number one thing that everyone does when they're trying to target a keyword is go over and put it in Google. Google. They'll take the top piece of content and they'll probably say, okay, this one's winning. So let's try and copy the pattern of the one that's winning because Google clearly must like it. The problem is with that, you probably don't have the authority of the site that's winning right now. It's always the big ones, probably HubSpot. If you publish the exact same article as them, you know, the what is this and why is this important stuff, it probably is not going to rank very well because you don't have that authority and coming up against them with the same kind of content is never gonna happen. So here's the underdog strategy for people like us who don't have much authority on our websites. You've gotta to go to the SERPs, type in your target keyword and locate the least authoritative site on the SERPs and analyze that one instead. This is the one that like, you know, everything on the front page of Google has like 90 or like 70 domain authority. And then there's this one that has like 33. And that's the one you wanna look at because they are winning and punching way above their weight. So they must be doing something that Google likes. So you wanna take their entire site. You wanna understand, have they got more topical authority? What are all the relevant signals they've got? What kind of backlinks, where have they got them from? What do they have in their article that other people don't that Google clearly loves? You know, have they got interviews? Have they got video? Have they got quotes? Whatever it is, you wanna just tear down exactly what they're doing and they're who you wanna copy. Not HubSpot who can rank for anything, but the underdogs. So thank you very much, Jeremy. And as a reminder, Jeremy is the co-founder and CEO of Usurp, if you don't know them already. They are part of the team who was responsible for the monday.com case study that I did. And they're one of the best SEO and backlink agencies out there. Go over to Usurp, that's U-S-E-R-P.io to check them out. Thank you. Okay, so a actionability. This is the final thing. And I feel like this is, probably the most important part of it. What makes content remarkable is being able to inspire action, helping your reader take action, get a result, and then they remember you because people remember results, right? Not the fancy words, but the results that your content inspired. And so actionability, when I think of actionability, is about inspiring and equipping your reader to achieve what they set out to achieve by um, when they Googled or when they, they try to read the content that you've created. Results, action leads to results. And that's, that leads to, you know, establishing value, providing value for the reader. And content that is actionable is content that shows a complete process step-by-step -step on how to do what the reader steps out to do. So when you're writing a piece of content, right? When, when your team is creating a piece of content, the homing beacon 
the entire, like the first and most important goal of that piece of content is how do we get the reader to the end results that they are looking for? And so throughout the whole writing from the beginning till the ending, everything that we're doing is related to getting the reader to that action that they want to take, right? And so what can we do to make content actionable. It's things like including templates, checklists, if they need to, if they need a template to be able to do something, then that template should be in the, in the resource that you've created on gated for them. For example, if I was talking about how to pitch podcasts, like how to get on podcasts, and I'm talking about in, in one of the points, I, I say email podcast hosts. It makes sense to show them a script and analyze the script of an email that maybe wins podcast um, invitation or a bad email example, analyzing what works and why it works so that they can take that information and customize it to themselves. If I say find um, marketing leaders on Twitter, for example, I want to go into Twitter and share a screenshot of the exact process it takes for me to find those readers. I want to show the reader how I set up a tool when I say use a tool to do something. I want to show them, I want to give them examples of what an action is or should be. Actionability, I also think that it's very important to include the why in as much as we're saying the how, because if you if you look at it, let's say, for example, you're talking to a child, right? And you're, you're telling them to do something. It's much more convincing for them to do something when they know why it's important to do that. So when I think of actionability, I think of why do this. Why? Because this is what it's um, this is why it's important to do it this way. Instant trust that this thing is actually what I should do. And then the next step is to show me how to do it exactly like going into the tool and doing it while I watch you. Like I can visually, I when I go to use that tool that you've used to do this, I already feel like I know what I'm doing. Like you've completely equipped and enabled me to take action. So everyone reading the, the piece of content that you've made, I talk to you right now because there are some results that I'm looking for being on this, this show, right? The person who is listening to this uh, podcast right now is looking for some results. They want to create the content, something. The test of good content is if people can take that, implement it, get results. Because only when they do that, can they remember your brand? Can they say, okay, I found something useful on this website before, and I'm going to go there again today because I'm sure that whatever I find here is going to be useful as well. And so that's, that's kind of like what an actionability is about. It's very hard to make actionable content unless you really know the subject, unless you've been there before. Like on LinkedIn, I find it easy. Like I can tell you over and over again how to do different SEO stuff because I know how to do it. And it's all, it's always actionable pretty much. Blog writing for someone else, like that is a skill, like to give actionable advice to someone who is like a senior director in an area you don't know, like that's, that's tough. Like what, what's your, your approach? Yeah, it's definitely harder to do that when the, the audience is higher level. And the way to do this is there's no two ways around it. You just have to interview someone. You need to get first-hand experience about what they've been doing and like how to implement this if you are not an SME on the topic already. One of the, the, the articles that I've written that came out really, really well was something that, and this was when I was at Animals. It was for a client in the legal industry and I didn't know anything about, like when, when I was assigned that client, I was like, oh my gosh, legal stuff. Yeah, 
But not on a call for that article. I hopped on a call with two lawyers, with one lawyer and one person in the private equity space. Because that being the topic was about something legal, private equity or whatever. And then we wrote piece based on their inputs. I recorded the call. I find, like, I find it very important to record calls or at least have some documentation somewhere. And I used their insights to create the post and I sent it back to them and was like, does this reflect what you've said? Painting holes also, like looking for gaps where, they, uh, where I saw gaps and then asking them, does this, how do we feel this gap? That article ended up not just ranking quickly, but also bringing in like lots of, it really resonated with the target audience. And so that's like one way to do it. And the second way would be to actually walk the talk. It's one of the reasons why I run my own site, because I want to make sure that whatever I'm saying in the matic industry is something that I've experienced for myself. And it's something that I can use screenshots to describe like use examples to show what action would look like and stuff like that. I th always think the best advice comes from someone who's, who's just done it and just seen their advice, like just, well, they've done it loads of times for loads of different people. It just makes such a difference. I think you can tell a mile away, really. Um, yeah. But I, I also think that it's really important to, even when you've taken advice from attorneys, it's really important to at least try to start the process yourself because cost of knowledge, someone who's done this several times begin to begins to forget so many little details and steps that a complete beginner would really find valuable. And then you're walking through that process yourself. You begin to see those things and then you have the right questions to ask the SME, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I'm not saying, I think, I think writers can do an amazing job even when they're, they didn't do it themselves, you know, with talking to the right people. And in, in a way you, you kind of want to be someone who hasn't done this before and then asking, how do I do this? And then writing it down because you're, you're in the place of the reader in a way, like learning something for the first time. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important point. Um, is there anything else on, on actionable? I guess one other thing that I wanted to say, especially with content like, um, how to contents, for, for example, where we're teaching how to do something. We want to show the exact step to do the thing. Say we're saying how to set up a Monday.com account. We want to take screenshots and show each step, explaining why each step is important and you know, how to do each step so that it's such that some, someone can pop up another window and follow the tutorial that you're given right there and right then. Yeah. For how to content, that seems super important. Step by step unfold. Like this is what. Yeah. But you'd be surprised in the number of content out there that is how to, but without screenshots, mm. I still see. It's almost like an afterthought. They don't see that as like the content, but there should be more. I can't really share my screen, but I wrote an article recently that talks about safe subscription business models, right? And I was talking about, I remember distinctly a section where I was talking about coming up with ideas for your subscription business. So I said, write down the, everything that you're good at and passionate about or something. And what I did was I took my jotter, my notebook and my pen, and I actually wrote that down. And to go also through that and place it in the article. There's just something about it that makes a reader pick up their own notebook and do the same. Just seeing that on the page. I don't know. Have you noticed stuff like that? I have. I think if I, that you're there, definitely. That's what like resonates with me. And I think if you really care about the reader, like that's what you're going to do. You're going to, you're trying to make everything explicit, like you said, explicitly clear, like what you're trying to say and how they do it and really help them. Like, like, here's what I mean. Like, look at this notebook that I did it in. 
I'm trying to think if there's any examples, but again, I think animals is the one that does it very well. Like, have you seen like the one I, I, the I concept of the idea farm? Have you seen that? Like that animals article, it's an idea in a nutshell. It's like when you have loads of ideas, when you have loads of ideas for, um, you know, new content, posting on LinkedIn, et cetera, like you don't necessarily want to write it right now. And also that idea is not fully formulated, but over time, this is the one I'll share it in the show notes of this, but over, over time, your kind of ideas flourish, I guess, and you, they become better ideas and you can improve them. And so the, so the concept is, I think Ryan basically shares his idea farm, which is a document with all his ideas mm -hmm. and then, but then he shows this, he shows it, how he turns that into an article. And then he also shows, it's a really good, like this, this kind of thing where it goes from, it shows an idea growing as a plant from readiness. So from, oh no. So basically he rates each idea with like originality, credibility, impact. And then it's going to be ready when all of those things have come together into one. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, he's used what you're saying, like as an analogy, like screenshot mm -hmm. images to illustrate the point, which yeah, that's why I think Ryan is very good at writing these blogs and why everyone knows about animals these days. But yeah, I think this, this, the, 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 um, example you shared is a perfect example of, of what I was saying. And I guess one thing I wanted to say is the Lima framework somehow leads to top leadership naturally. Like everyone wants to create top leadership content. So like if we're not overthinking it, because top leadership is not a single piece of content. Top leadership is a vibe that people get from you. And so if you're constantly following the rules of the Lima framework, suddenly you begin to, you start being regarded as the thought leader in the space. I think a very good example of that is Cognizant. Oh, Cognizant. It, yeah. So is that from, would you say that's from their content or from their LinkedIn? Uh, um, okay. So I haven't really read their blog that much, but the few pieces that I've read left a really good impression. If I have any questions about sales or whatever right now, I would probably just go and do a side search and directly go to Cognizant. I had the same, I think, with Gong. I know Gong always led their content with, with data and insights from their and stuff. And like, that was enough to bring, bring me back to them, like on everything. More than anything else, it's data evidence, a little bit of evidence. And that's like a very good one. I think it also helps with bringing that specificity. You're seeing the data that you can relate with. It's more like seeing yourself in the journey. Yeah. And so it becomes ex explicit and memorable at the same time. I think what I think would be the most common objection to all of this is that it's it's hard basically to get evidence to get examples think about analogies to do all of this stuff to actually rewrite your content so it's explicit and like has logic and it's so difficult and like the average person is going to find that difficult although like that's the skill that, that that you have to hone what would you say to these people who are trying to create like 500 articles a month or whatever like do you think they need to throw out their old high volume strategy now and get more of these in there so i know it's hard it's hard we really had but it's not impossible with systems right i've worked with subcontractors in the past working with several clients at the same time and i have checklists and basically it's looking at the piece of content at the brief get the brief right like get the brief right the brief that empowers your writer that talks about who your audience is and what the goal of the article is a brief that talks about the uh like where the audience is in their journey. And so some people like to, to read the outline themselves and I see why that makes sense. But I prefer to give the writer, to, to make the writer get involved in the outlining process because when someone is more involved in something, they have more 
they're more invested in it, right? And so the, at the point of the outlining, you need to have, and this is something that I've not seen anyone in company have out there right now. And it's something I'll be talking about in the next episode of my newsletter is that you need to have a process or a, a checklist sort of that says this is what the outline should look like. When I was back at Animals, we had something similar called the 10% outline, the 20% outline. My outlining process is more something in between the 10 and the 30% in that. What is the 10% outline? What does that mean? Yeah, for me, it's having those H2s and then defining the structure of what comes on that, those H2s at the outlining stage. Then you as the SEO manager or the, the editor, the editorial manager takes the outline that the writer has sent to you and you, you either make your your feedback at that point or okay it's to go to the next stage i think this is the foundation at this point is where you get structure made once that is done you know that during the drafting time you're not going to be working on structural edits anymore at that point at the point of the outline you're already seeing stuff that is missing and you're saying can we add this here can we make sure we do this here can we do this and do this and do this here right so when the drafts when the first draft comes to you what you're looking for at that point now is making sure that there um, it's explicit and injecting memorability and actionability into it if you do the outline right actionability should actually be covered so if someone is giving a h2 uh and they're, they're saying the structure here is going to be why this is this and how this is this happens you could leave a note or your 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 original checklist of what the outline or the draft should contain would say that your how should show with um, examples and screenshots exactly what should be done. And so in the drafting stage, what you're basically doing is making sure that all gaps are closed. That's in the draft editing stage, all gaps are closed and there is elements of memorability in there. If you can build it in at that point, you can still move fast and stop it being this whole complicated process kind of thing. It's, it's about like having that a really good editor up front, getting the content briefs in place and things. Yeah. 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 yeah it makes a lot of sense. I've, I, I've literally made that mistake before. The better, the better briefs I've made over time, like you get exactly what you envisioned. I think it's also helpful to have a resource file where you have all your customer and interviews and stuff that people can can just pick data from and examples from and stuff like that and use it in your article. So yeah, the briefing stage, the outlining stage, and the draft stage. These checkpoints, if you do these three checkpoints right, you should be able to scale content, quality content. Nice. It's, it's funny, when I created this podcast, I set, I didn't set out to what like teach people how to create quality content at scale, but it really has just morphed into that like that's the number one thing the issue in the in the seo world like how do we do that how do we rank great content faster it's just like everyone's question anyway so yeah we got more answers to that today so thank you yeah thank you very much it's actually been yeah amazing having you on the podcast do you want to give a shout out to like what you do like what's what do you do who do you want to who are your ideal clients like who do you work for okay so i'm a content strategist currently work with brands like WordPress.com and Zapier and PubSport. And yeah, but my, yeah, the people that I love working with the most are smaller brands that have one or two people on the marketing team, because sometimes it can be a pain to work with a founder when he has so much going on, right? Yeah. And I help them create strategy and content using customer data so that everything is specific to their best buyers. I find that that is one of the fastest ways to drive revenue and win more of your best customers, the people who pay the most and don't give your 
customer success team any headache. Yeah. And so I help, I help brands get more of those customers. People can find me at lilyubarder.com or at lilyubarder on, on all social media platforms, LinkedIn, Mastodon, and Twitter. And you can also find some of the stuff about the Lima framework on marketingcyborg.com, my open newsletter. Yeah, marketing. Yeah. Everyone should subscribe to your newsletter. Are you releasing that like whenever or are you releasing that? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on the, the uh, actionability part of the Lima framework right now. It should be done at the end of this week. Cool. Okay. So maybe by the time this comes out, that will already be out, but people should subscribe to your newsletter, obviously, and um, follow you on LinkedIn as well. I feel like that's where I see you most, but maybe that's because I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, I, I, I'm actually more active on Twitter right now. Uh, really? Yeah. LinkedIn. Twitter is, is mostly just goofy stuff. LinkedIn's probably the best place to follow me. Cool. Well, thank you so much. It's, yeah, it's been amazing talking to you and yeah, I'm looking forward to releasing this, announcing it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's the end of the episode. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the time you invested in this episode. Um, a few next steps. Of course, we have the premium community where you can read this strategy. Basically, you can download it and keep it forever so you don't have to listen to this episode again or make notes. Um, also, come follow me on LinkedIn. I'm posting like lots of little extra bits and things around the podcast and, and things I've learned in SEO. So come follow me. And if you don't already, obviously, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the newsletter. Thank you. Thank you.